Hello, and welcome to Preparing Foster Youth for Adulting, the podcast designed to highlight strategies and resources that help youth in care transition to adulthood successfully. Our guest today is Jamerica Haynes-Lewis. Jamerica is the founder of Clever Jam Communications, an organization that provides workshops for youth aging out of foster care based in Seattle, Washington. Welcome, Jamerica, to the podcast series for Aging Out Institute. How are you today? I'm doing good, Lynn. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you very much. I am very interested in learning about you and your organization, so let's go ahead and get started. My first question is, if you could please share a little bit about yourself and how it is that you came to be connected with the foster care system. Yes, I'm from the Northwest. I was born and raised in Washington State. I'm currently based in Seattle. I learned about the system when I entered into foster care at the age of five. And for the next 13 years of my childhood, I would be involved in child welfare in some form or shape or another. I was in traditional out-of-placement as well as kinship care. And when I say out-of-placement, I mean out-of-home placement, meaning I was taken out of my home and placed with neighbors who were foster parents and as well as respite care, foster to adopt, group homes, the whole gamut, considering how long I was in the system. And because of that experience, after I was 18, it led to me becoming an advocate. And namely through pageantry, I started competing in pageants as a way to earn scholarship money for school. I also loved performing. So that gave me an outlet to do that. And Alongside that, I had an opportunity to choose a volunteer platform in pageantry, and I chose to help other young people and families who were in the foster care system. And almost 15 years later, I'm still doing this work, which I very much still love. Wow, that's wonderful. I myself was in foster care as well. I was in kinship care. Prior to kinship care, I was in group homes. So not the length of time that you were in the system. I was only in the system a couple of years, but did age out at age 18. So we have that in common, starting off the bat, although mine was in North Carolina primarily. Oh, okay. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that with me. One of my foster parents was from North Carolina. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Did they have the accent? (laughs) They did. They did. It was funny because I lived with them for about five years and people would say, oh, y'all sound Southern. Where are y'all from? Like, oh my gosh. I know. I know. That's funny. Yeah. I was actually born in Maryland, but lived in North Carolina. People up North thought I was from the South and people down South figured I was from the North. So, oh, well. Oh, yes. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you very much for sharing that. Mm -hmm. So after you got involved and utilized foster care as your platform for your pageants. How did that lead you to being involved in the organization that you are part of now? When I was in college, I decided I wanted to be a motivational speaker. And it really tied into a childhood dream of mine. I remember a foster parent asking me what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I said, an actress, I want to be an actress. And it was just the word that I had to describe wanting to be on stage and connect with people. And I'm actually starting to get into acting and modeling now, which has been one of the opportunities that's come from winning a national pageant title. But along the way, I knew I wanted to help people. And so when I was in college, I started 
formulating how I wanted to start a consulting business that would allow me to be a motivational speaker. And what I wanted to talk about was the story of me growing up in foster care, the challenges and supports that I had, as well as what we could do to help other young people and their families. And so I formed Clever Jam Communications in 2016. And I just started reaching out to organizations and letting them know I was available to speak. And through that, I've been able to travel the nation sharing my story. And then over time, starting to offering youth empowerment workshops. And that was such a full circle moment for me because growing up, I didn't have that. I didn't know other alumni of care. Or if I did meet other adults, you know, it came out in a roundabout way that they were in care. And I empathize with them. It's hard to talk about. It's a moment you want to move on from. But as a young person, I felt very much alone in that experience. It felt very alienated from the adults in my life because they couldn't relate or they weren't willing to share their experience, which was hard for me because it just reinforced the stigma of shame of being in care. So also too, it's having my organization has allowed me to form informal mentorships with young people in foster care. And it's just been awesome just to be a mentor, be a big sister to other young people. And really it's been healing for me because I now can be that face and person for someone when I didn't have that when I was younger. Yeah. You knew what was missing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what can really help it, that person, having somebody who has your back, who you can contact and ask questions and you know that you have their support no matter what, that is so critical for young people transitioning to adulthood. I don't know that everyone realizes the importance of that. Yeah. And I think a lot of people just assume that if they have that resource in their life or that person they can turn to, everyone else has that as well. Or they may not even think that far. They're just living their life. Right. Yeah. I think awareness is growing Yes, about the challenges that young people aging out of foster care face, but there's still so many people who, like you're saying, they just don't know. Yeah. So the workshops, so your Clever Jam Communications is a consulting business. Yes, it is a consulting business, and I offer motivational speaking, workshop facilitation, as well as strategic communications guidance. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. And you work primarily with nonprofits? Yeah, I've worked with a number of groups. I've worked with nonprofits. I've worked with churches. I've worked with individuals. I've worked with those who work at media. So it really runs the gamut. My background is in communications namely news reporting, both print and TV, and some radio. Another platform to be in front of people <laughs> yeah. to share stories and so forth. So yeah. that's a lot of quite a varied and quite interesting set of experiences you've had. Yeah, it has been. And for me, it's really a heartfelt mission. Being an African-American, and I've talked to others who also share the same ethnicity as me who work in news and who don't work in news. And one of our greatest frustrations is how people of color, especially Black people, are portrayed in the media, which is oftentimes a lot of crime-based stories or we're just not seen at all. And that can be very hard. It doesn't portray an accurate portrayal of who we are as a community. Also, too, when positive news does happen, we often don't hear about it because that's not what often gets the high ratings. 
And so a big part of me having Clever Jam, it's not just to share my story, but it's really to be a person who is helping to share stories of people who otherwise wouldn't be heard. Another angle for me is women, you know, how our stories are told, how we're depicted. One thing that I tend to see in media, both fiction and nonfiction, is women who are very successful, very connected and out in the world. And that's not the experience of every woman. And for someone like me who left the family that I was living with at the age of 18, being in the world at 18 as a woman, and you could probably relate, Lynn, trying to get your own apartment, trying to buy a car, trying to get a job, you don't have any references or connections, it's very hard. And sometimes it can be very scary. There were times where I was preyed on because I was young and single, you know, and that doesn't even factor in the element of race. And I want to be able to tell those stories. Not everyone's living, you know, a sex in a city life. <laughs> Who's single and a young woman? It, that's not the reality of most people. So I'm very passionate about storytelling and sharing those stories of people who don't get to have their story told or get to tell their story. And you do this through your workshops primarily. As part of your workshops, you have this storytelling element. And if it's more than that, I would love to hear how that happens. Well, it depends what I'm talking about. When I've done the youth empowerment workshops, it's really focused on the youth. And one element that I like to focus on is, especially with young people in foster care, that's my target audience when I've done this workshop, is helping them to see themselves outside of their circumstances. And I do use storytelling. Icebreakers are a way to do that. One icebreaker that I like to do is to ask people, what's your favorite animal? Or if you could be an animal, what would it be? And it really just allows young people to not just simply share, but to see themselves apart from what's going on, right? They get to sit in this workshop for an hour or two and they get to share with others who they are, their feelings and their insights. And to have that be heard without judgment and to have that validated, it's really cool. There was one girl who refused to speak or show her face, but eventually she did speak. She wouldn't turn on her camera, but to just hear her just take a chance and share her story, even though she was afraid, that was really cool to witness. And so for me, I feel that storytelling can be powerful in that way because it gives people a chance to hear themselves and see themselves probably for the first time. I remember those moments where I was able to hear my voice, not just literally, but on an emotional and psychological basis where other people weren't telling me what my story was. They weren't trying to tell me who I was. I was able to speak and see and hear myself without that interference. And that's something I try to do when I am using storytelling with young people. Well, it sounds like as a workshop leader, it's not that you're standing up in front of a group or online, if you will, talking at them. No. You're facilitating the conversation. Yes, exactly. And are your workshops primarily online or do you do a mix of online and in person? I do in person. This was something that I just started doing this year. And for me, it's really important to have that in-person well, virtual, given the pandemic element, because I've done pre-recorded workshops, but for our young people especially, they really need that interaction, I feel. 
And because I have been in care, I really feel like young people who are in, in foster care or who have experienced the system, that allows them to see someone in real time who has survived being in the system and who's now sharing their story, but also to facilitating this conversation. And I think that gives young people an opportunity to see someone who's like them. And just to know, I may have went through these really bad circumstances, but I'm okay. And if they can see someone else talking about their story and how they went through the system, I feel that gives people an opportunity to have their stories validated without them necessarily having to share their own story, right? Because that's a process within itself. Right, exactly. Well, do you offer a variety of different workshops? Because I just am wondering what the primary goal or goals would be of your time together with the young people. Is it to build resiliency? Is it to help them build a plan for the future? You know, if we're talking about older youth in foster care, if that's your target market, then what do organizations hire you to come with a specific goal in mind? Maybe you have different workshops and different goals that you offer. Yeah, it's a combination of things, right? So there's been times where I've just spoken to young people and I've spoken to children as young as five, all the way up to those who are in their early 20s and beyond. So it depends. If I'm just doing a talk, like I'm USA Ambassador Ms., this is my story. You don't have to feel ashamed about being in foster care. During those talks, I'll focus on obviously sharing my story, but I'll also share that you don't have to feel ashamed of what you've experienced, right? Just because bad things happen to you doesn't mean that you're bad and that troubled times don't last for always. And then also too, I'll leave some room to have the young people and kids ask me questions so that, like I said, you know, I'm there not only facilitating, but also teaching. And one of the ways that I like to teach without it seeming like teaching is asking kids to ask me questions because I want them to feel empowered to do that. Not just there in that moment, but to carry that with them like, oh, I can ask questions and not be laughed at. I can ask for information and to feel like they're able to do that. With the workshops that I've done in the past before, there will usually be a theme. And so I will sit with the event coordinator and ask them what that is. If they don't have one, I try to focus on what that group of young people's needs are. And depending on the age group, that will vary. When I tend to meet with teenagers, I'll focus on the identity formation piece because around that age, not only are you trying to figure out who you are, but you do have a need to want to fit in. And a lot of times fitting in comes from feeling like you are somebody and that you want to be with people as well. And that, or I should say they want to be around you. And so one workshop I did, it was called I Am Somebody. And that came from my own personal experience of feeling like nothing because I was a foster child. And I had a foster parent tell me, no, you are somebody. You're not just a foster kid. That has always stuck with me. And so when I did that workshop, I Am Somebody, I always tell the young people, I know it's hard. You're still trying to figure out who you are, you want to fit in, but you just don't want to be anything or try to be someone else. You are uniquely you. And that's why I start with that icebreaker of asking, you know, if you could be any animal, what would it be? Because just even examples like that really shows the young people, they are unique individuals that deserve to be known and wanted. Right. Absolutely. In regard to your 
organization, do you have other speakers who have maybe a similar background or is it at this point, is it really, you know, you are the consulting group. And so if an organization, maybe one of our listening organizations wanted to hire you, (laughs) would it really be hiring you as opposed to you maybe have a set of different speakers who could go out? Yes. Right now it's just me. With Clever Jam Communications, as I had mentioned to you earlier, it's a number of services. So if people want to invite me to speak, they could just go to my website. And then, as I mentioned before, it would really be just figuring out what the conference theme or event is about and me speaking to that. So I'm really flexible with that. Wonderful. The name of the organization, your organization, Clever Jam Communications, sometimes I like to ask, where did the name come from? Because it's an interesting name. Yes. I actually got a thesaurus out. And before I started looking for words, I sat down and I asked myself, if I'm going to do this, what do I want to help people with? And for me, I wanted to help people communicate more effectively in whatever they're trying to do and not just communicate with their intended audiences, but connect with them. Right. And in order to do that, you have to know who your audience is. You have to know what your skill set is and how you can apply it to your set objectives. And that takes strategy. And with strategy, you have to be smart. You have to be patient. And oftentimes you need help. And so I thought if I'm going to help people be in the best position to connect with their audience and convey the message for that audience that I need to have a business name that indicates that. And so I was looking for something that was pretty jazzy, that I felt described me, but also would communicate to people what I'm about and what I can do for them. And so I looked for different words in the thesaurus for the word smart. (laughs) (laughs) And one of the synonyms, words that are like each other, was clever. And one of my nicknames is Jam. And I said, okay, there we go. Clever Jam Communication. So that's how I get my business name. <laughs> oh, that's great. I love hearing those stories. <laughs> Appreciate that. You're welcome. Oh, and there's another thing to that too, is that Jurassic Park is one of my favorite movies. And there's a scene where the park warden, so even though it's like a dinosaur park, they have a park warden, right? Something you would see on a safari or whatever. You know, when the park crashes down without the electricity and whatnot, all the dinosaurs escape out of their enclosures. And the warden was trying to shoot one of the velociraptors. And all the dinosaurs in the park had been genetically... (laughs) I'm such a geek about this movie. It's terrible. Oh, I love the movie. I know exactly where you're going with this scene. (laughs) And so all the dinosaurs were female. And so he's in the bush trying to shoot this raptor and... I think it was like to his like right or something. One of the other ones pops out and he was like, clever girl. Yep. And <laughs> she gets him. But I just, when I saw the word clever in the thesaurus, I was like, oh, I'm like the raptor. Like, no, I, I don't <laughs> attack people. I don't hunt people, but I just loved it. It was just like serendipity because that's one of my favorite movies and one of my favorite lines. And so I was like, okay, I have to go with the word clever. Well, how about this? You could look at that scene as the Velociraptors were working together toward a goal. They were, and they they were were smart about it. And they were underestimated. (laughs) Yes. They were (laughs) underestimated by the being who thought because he was more intelligent. And that's the whole premise 
of that movie. And I don't know if you're aware of this, Lynn. I'm about to have another geek moment, but it was actually <laughs> the movie screenplay was based on the actual book, Jurassic Park. It's a cautionary tale, right? Because people are getting into genetic cloning and whatnot. And it really just speaks to how sometimes as human beings, we overestimate our ability, our intelligence, and then how our ego gets in the way of things and how we think sometimes we can outsmart nature. You know, and it just really calls for us to be humble. But also, too, I take know how the dinosaur in that particular, seeing how they were underestimated. Yep. Yeah. Do you think young people in foster care are also underestimated? Of course. Yeah. I mean, it just seemed to be a natural application to what you're just saying because, and not only do, are they underestimated by other people, I think youth underestimate themselves. They do. And I think that however we treat our young people is how they'll see themselves. That's something I do believe. I know that I've experienced similar feelings and it was hard, you know, because Especially as I got older, I felt like people couldn't see beyond the foster care label. I felt like I was treated like a perpetual child. And that really drove me to leaving my hometown, moving to the big city, and more or less reinventing myself. I mean, obviously, now as a public figure with me sharing my story, everyone knows I used to be in foster care. But I really just saw how people relied on stereotypes to define who I was. And people, would talk to me like I was a child. And also, too, I looked really young for my age. Also being female, you know, I feel at times as women in society, we're infantilized. You know, we're still called girls when we're women, right? If we're conversating with one of our girlfriends and we're like, oh, girl, you're silly. That's one thing. But the fact that women are still referred to as girls. So there's a lot of societal nuances that are also thrown in that. But yeah, there were times where I was underestimated, where people didn't think I would understand certain concepts or ways of things because I was in foster care or because I came from an impoverished background. And that really frustrated me. Like, no, I understand. No, I get it. And yes, I'm intelligent. And that can be frustrating. It can be. I think people group all young people who have had trauma as quote unquote at risk, right? And there are stereotypes applied to quote unquote, at risk young men, you know, they're going to get into trouble. They're going to get involved in crime. They're going to be violent, what have you. Maybe this is a little to the extreme. At risk young ladies are going to get pregnant. They're going to, you know, all the things that just jump to people's minds when they think of at risk. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I think a lot of young people in foster care take that on. Yeah, they do. I mean, it's rejection. And Rejection will either cause people to do two things. They'll either isolate or they'll rebel. They'll just, they'll rebel. You know, they'll, well, if that's how you're going to treat me, then that's how I'll act. And I feel like you're right. You know, there are the stereotypes that foster youth are dangerous. I felt at times people saw me that way. I remember when I was an adolescent and I was becoming a woman, having a foster parent who was very accusatory of me, thinking that. I was going to run off with boys and I couldn't understand why would she think that? And looking back, I could see how she had internalized certain stereotypes about me. And the irony is when I would ask people for help and guidance, they would ignore me or they would just minimize my concerns. Like, you know, I would ask about dating. I would ask about other real life things. 
and no one would help me. They'd be like, oh, you'll figure it out. Or, oh, you don't need to worry about that now. And it's like college is right around the corner. And so it can be very frightening. And as you can imagine, some of our young people just don't trust anyone. They're very hyper independent and that isn't helpful, you know, or they don't trust anyone and rightfully so because they have been judged, taken advantage of. I know that's happened to me and it makes it very hard to know who you can trust. And that's why I think it's important that we do share our stories because that's how we eliminate the stigma. And we just have to do that work because if people are just relying on stereotypes, it does impact how they treat others who have been in the system. I literally have had to just change my life in some ways where I don't communicate with certain people because they couldn't see beyond the label. And I've had people still make comments to me as an adult. And obviously now I have the tools to say, I'm not going to discuss that. And it's not relevant anymore. <laughs> you know, it was so long ago and it's hard. And I get why some young people who've been in care, they move away from their hometowns or they don't tell anyone they used to be in foster care because of the social scrutinization they faced. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because some young people do that, but others like yourself want to take their experiences and turn it around and give back in some way and help young people maybe not have to go through what they went yes. through. Yes. Because a lot of social workers have that background. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for me, you know, I'm a journalist, I'm a writer, I'm a communicator, I'm a storyteller. And I do the above in different ways. And it's by sharing my story and sharing the insights that I have that I really want to work hard to eliminate the stigma because it's not fair to treat people unjustly just because they're different or to just label people and judge them without getting to know them. Right. I don't think that's right. Well, how did you overcome the challenges of aging out of foster care? You know, I never assume that even if somebody successfully found mm. a career and so forth, that it was easy. You know, I don't want yeah. to certainly assume that, but I'm wondering how did you get through aging out of foster care, getting through college, getting on a career track? What do you think you had that some young people struggle more with? I would say I had support. I was always fortunate enough to meet people, make friends that were willing to rent me a room out in an apartment who are willing to hire me for a job, right? And I had to work really hard for it. I also really took time to figure out what my rights were, especially around like trying to find a place to live. You know, it's illegal to discriminate people when they're trying to apply for housing. Luckily, I didn't have to deal with that too much. But I also had a plan. So apart from having teachers that were supportive having making friendships with people who are willing to rent me a room, finding mentors through different programs. I had a plan and I fought to follow that plan because I had friends who were succumbing to circumstances, you know, they got in the drugs. I had a couple of friends who ended up taking their own lives and just the lack of opportunity. What I wanted to do college made sense. And it was hard because I still had to deal with racism, sexism, and all other sorts of discrimination. And I really just made sure I stayed in contact with those positive people in my life. Yeah, it was hard. And, you know, I know I'm like stumbling a little bit here, but just I think about my friends, especially my other female friends who weren't as lucky. There's just so many negative influences out there. And 
And just because I did get a job, it doesn't mean I got the first job I applied to. When I was younger, I was a victim of a crime. When I was in my sophomore year of college, a man was posing as a modeling scout and he wasn't. He was a convicted felon and that was devastating. That was my first quarter of college. But it was also empowering because I was able to go at court and testify against him. And I wanted to do that, Lynn, because I didn't want him preying on other girls in the neighborhood. No, you don't get to come to our neighborhood or anywhere and do that. And I was in my school library when he approached me. And so not only did that give me a sense of justice, but it really inspired me to become more of an advocate for other young people. And that was also what influenced my decision to do pageantry, because a lot of other foster youth are targeted and preyed on because they are alone in the world. And it's just really sad, like you hear about the human trafficking, how these people know these young people are isolated. They know they may not have the social skills or connections, and they prey on that. I'll be your friend. I'll give you stuff. I'll give you money. I'll even give you a new name. I'll be your boyfriend. You know, just these weird things. And then they're just victimized beyond belief. And so it has not been easy. And I had to really work really, really hard. If I'm being honest, at times it felt like a Herculean effort and it shouldn't be that way. Well, I mean, transitioning to adulthood is challenging for everybody, but it is tougher Mm -hmm. with youth when you don't have a support system and you've had trauma in your life and Mm -hmm. you haven't maybe had the opportunities to work through that trauma and try to figure it out and what it means for you. Oh, yes. It's that much harder. Yes. And just, you know, between the trauma of being a victim of crime and going through the system, I finally broke down and got into counseling in my mid-20s. When I tried to do it when I was younger, I mean, Lynn, people talk about a stigma against foster care. I would say the stigma for mental health is worse. There is still very much this aversion to getting therapy, to going to counseling. People think there's something bad or there's this juju around (laughs) going to see a shrink, you know, and that's not even a word that's used anymore or should be used. But I remember one foster parent refusing to take me to therapy because they had such strong feelings against mental health. And this person worked in healthcare. And that's another reason why I shared my story, namely going to therapy, because I want people to know that it's okay. I understand there's still a lot of aversion to it, but I don't care. I don't want people to suffer in silence yeah. for so long. Absolutely. And I think it's difficult for young people, anybody really, who tend to be very independent to allow somebody to help them like that as well. Mm-hmm. I can do it. I can figure it out. You know, I don't need anybody else to help me through this. Yes. Yes. And it's hard. Therapy isn't easy. You have to talk about things, you know, you'd rather forget and it makes you feel disoriented. I mean, and it's not something easy. You're going to most likely have a physiological response. And, but the way to get through, to get over something is to go through it. It just has to be done because it will manifest in some other way. And I read somewhere that you can either pay now or pay later. I got to a point where I'm like, I don't want to carry this anymore. And if I'm the only person who's supporting me in my therapy journey, then so be it. But I can't live like this anymore. I have a question about the workshops. When you are 
talking with young people. Mm-hmm. Again, thinking of maybe the older teenagers in foster care. In the conversations that you're having, in the storytelling that you are facilitating, what seems to, or and it may be more than one thing, seems to reach the young people? And I ask because, you know, you're going to have folks from organizations that work with youth aging out of foster care, maybe foster parents listening as well. I'm just wondering what advice you might give to them about how to have these conversations themselves and to help young people Mm -hmm. tell their stories. Is there an avenue that seems to reach Mm -hmm. them? Yes, yes. Well, first off, and, and you know this probably from your own experience, tell me if I'm incorrect, is that a lot of young people, just children, you know, even babies and youth in care, they've had a lot of professionals in their lives. And it's not been by choice. <laughs> right, right. So the most important thing that when you have a young person who's in front of you in a program and yet another program is to really, first off, thank that young person for being there and to be earnest about it, not canned or rehearsed, because chances are you are one of many people who have come into their life and it hasn't been their choice. You're not a friend of the family. And so it's invasive your presence going to more likely than not be invasive. So it's important to just thank that young person for being there. I would say the first key after that is building relationships, letting that young person know who you are, what your role is, what your objective is, and asking that young person if they have any questions about it. They may not, that's fine. But the idea is to start that relationship building. Also too the environment. Is it youth friendly, right? There's a big difference between going into a building and it's white and sterile and just stock room furniture and setup, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Versus coming into an environment and you see posters and brochures with young people on it, right? The color scheme is more engaging, something that youth would like, would feel comfortable in. So environment is also important. And then also too, when the young people do talk to you, listen to them, whether it's a question they're asking or if they're sharing their story, right? Just really listening to them and then ask them what they want. What do they need? Like I said, again, they may not know. That's fine. But the thing about it is, is you just want to keep that conversation open and then really taking an interest in what they're interested in, right? And helping whatever that they're interested in be relevant to whatever else they're trying to do. I know a lot of young people, and I shouldn't say a lot of young people, but I know for some young people, they don't particularly care for school, but they have their interests. I've had some the youth I've worked with, because I was also a resource specialist at the YMCA here in Seattle. So I worked with young people who used to be foster youth, or I should say who used to be in foster care or who had experienced homelessness or both. And I would just sit and ask them, well, how do you spend your time? You know, and one girl was like, oh, I want to go to school and do hair. And I'm like, you can do that. And I said, make sure you're paying attention to your other classes too, because math isn't fun, but you need to know the difference between one inch and two inches when you're cutting people's hair, right? And they're (laughs) like, yeah, you're right. All right. Or if you're going to dye someone's hair chemistry, that will help you learn how to dye people's hair properly. And I would tell them stories about how I had friends who owned salons and someone who had no business doing someone's hair decided they were going to do it and they dyed someone's hair orange (laughs) because they didn't have the proper training and education. 
You know, I know people go, oh gosh, I had a kid tell me they want to be a rapper. Here's another kid who wants to be a rapper. That's okay. You want to know how to rap? You want to do hip hop? You need to follow the news. You need to know what's going on in the world so that when you're talking to your audience, when you're rapping songs, you know how world affairs affect them. Or if you want to have a vocabulary, you need to know English or whatever language you want to rap in, right? So writing lyrics, yep. Yeah, so you're not just saying the same thing over and over again, right? And that what your sentence structure, even though when you sing and whatnot, it's different in music, it makes sense. The message gets across. So whatever our young people are doing, you know, we have to take an interest in that, learn about it, and then what other skill set that are relevant to what they're trying to do, we just have to connect it for them. And I think that's how you reach young people. Yeah. And it sounds like you've implied it, but you need to allow some time and space yes. for processing. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why when I talk about relationship building, it's for the long haul, right? Because anybody can establish an organization, a nonprofit, get a nice building, get a staff, and just hand out services and meet grant requirements. That relationship building, even if you have a change of staff, is what is going to allow young people to know, I have a safe place to go to. I have people looking out for me, and they're going to give me the time and space to grow. And Len, I'm so glad that you brought that up because that was one of my greatest frustrations of being in foster care. No one gave me the time and space to process anything, especially when I went into that foster to adopt placement. It was, well, here's your new family, your old life, your old family doesn't exist anymore. And that cost me a lot of trouble. Or even with deciding what college I wanted to go to, one family was like, oh, well, you should go to Harvard. I don't want to go to Harvard. I've had no interest in going to Harvard. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with it as an institution. But it was just like, can you give me some time and space to figure this out or at least ask me what I want to (laughs) do? So yeah, you're correct. Yes. And I think part of the challenge is, and this is, and I don't want to certainly say all organizations do this. They don't. But I think in some cases, Mm -hmm. it's really not thought of until their senior year. (laughs) Okay, now quick, let's talk about your future. As opposed to helping the young people along as we would, right? For people who had parents, they would go through these conversations, you know, here and there, now and then throughout even middle school and into high school. But it seems like a lot of times this is just thrown at young people their senior year when they're in the system. Yeah. And that's not okay. And that's why I really put the honest on adults to really be tuned in, especially when they're working with youth in the system and really building those relationships, you know, and I know it's hard because sometimes our young people, they do move around a lot, or maybe they go back to their families, right? And they may be in a different area than where they were previously. So I understand with those transitions, but I think uh, sometimes it's hard though for educators and other adults and these young people's lives because they may not know the young person's in foster care and the young person isn't going to reveal that. Those are some of those realistic challenges, but for others who do know, being able to build those relationships apart from just the young person's foster care situation is so important helping them to see themselves beyond their circumstances, especially with foster care, because it is all encompassing and it does seem to consume. But like you said, you know, for waiting the senior year or we're just waiting until they leave care to finally figure out who they are. That's just too late. We're waiting 
too late. I would say even middle school. When I was in eighth grade, I knew what college I wanted to go to, and that's where I went. Mm-hmm. Ideally, yes. Now, some young people don't come into the system until their high school years, but yes. ideally, yes. I think working with the young people as, as young as middle school would be the best. Well, yeah, we have to value our young people in foster care, irregardless of where they're at, how much motivation they show. I say that because I was a straight A student. I was in AP classes and gifted classes. And this is a whole different subject. But for my classmates and I who were in those classes, there was this expectation, everyone's going to college. You know, I remember we would go to our local colleges for, you know, high school day and we would go and do the big hurrah, like, oh, we're going to go to college. And and I know for a fact that wasn't done with all of the rest of my classmates who were in those classes. I remember going to those events and feeling valued, feeling like I had a future, feeling that my teachers were invested. I want every young person, especially those in foster care, to feel that sense of valued without feeling like they have to be the star football player or beauty queen. Right, right, exactly. What do you think from your perspective and your experiences that the foster care system can do? And I know the system is big and we're talking different levels, federal, state, local, but what do you think, what could be done to help young people who are older in the foster care system be better prepared for transitioning out of the system and onto their own? For sure. I believe it's important that since foster care is such a big system, we try to keep things on a very hyper-local level. I think the beauty of programs is that they do provide funding for services, but it's really important that the funding gets to those services and staffing so that we can do mentoring programs, right? And apart from mentoring, being able to have organic homegrown relationships. I really wanted that. I didn't always want a paid professional in my life. And it wasn't that I felt like these paid professionals didn't care, but sometimes it can just feel very arranged. And so I believe the way we create those organic relationships is by educating the public, educating those who are likely to come into contact with young people in foster care, whether it's teachers, uh, clergymen, Even neighbors, you know, they watch movies, they read blogs, you know, there's foster parents and those who are just everyday citizens. The more we can educate the public about foster care and its impact, then that's important, right? Because then people know, okay, I can help this family. I can help this young person. And like I said, you may not know if someone's in foster care. And so that just goes back to valuing our young people, getting to know them, including them irregardless of what their status may be. And what I mean by that, whether it's social, economic, foster care status, whatever it may be, it's important that we're getting to know each other and creating that community. Yeah. And like I said, I think awareness is growing, Mm -hmm. but we just need to keep after it. And people who are out there who have experience like you did, maybe, you know, starting to go to talk to local churches about foster care and your experience just for the awareness, right? Mm-hmm. Not looking for anything more than that. I think that there's a lot of opportunity out there for broadening the, just the knowledge of the system among just folks who have never had the opportunity to have any interaction with it. Yeah. And I think that's how we do it, right? Because I think people get overwhelmed. They're like, yay, we just passed this legislation and, you know, we're going to have more money for more resources. And then it's like, oh, well, 
how are we going to get the money to all these programs and whatnot? And it's like, we just can't think in terms of dollars and cents. Yes, it does cost money to run programs and initiatives, but there's so much we can do on our own as people than always just thinking the issues about money. It's not just that, it's really our attitudes and our emotional labor, right? We just can't lean on the... um, you know, the almighty dollar to solve this issue. It's really going to take a lot of social and emotional work to do this. But it's doable, though, because I look at my own life. I look at people like you and it's like someone was there. It really just comes down to valuing our young people and seeing them and getting to know them. Right. Yep, exactly. Well, it looks like we're approaching the end of our time together. And I did want to get this in there. I don't know the answer to it. So you'll have to let me know is, do you accept donations for any of the work that you do? Or is it really about organizations hiring you to provide your services? I don't accept donations because I'm not a nonprofit. I just want to be transparent. There are a number of organizations that are nonprofits who do need donations. So I would advise people to check out some local organizations in their community who are foster care based and donate to them. A couple of national organizations that I know about that are doing this work are Comfort Cases. I'm a brand ambassador for them and they do donation drives to take in essential care items like backpacks, toothbrushes, combs, stuffed animals for young people in foster care. Another organization that is doing some great work There's Foster Club, and their focus is for young people who used to be in foster care, so those who've aged out. And they do some awesome work around advocacy as well. So I would check those two out. But just check what local organizations are out there and see what you need. And then, as I mentioned, I do have a website, cleverjam.com. If people are interested in having me facilitate a workshop or come speak at an event, I am available to do that for hire. Fantastic. I was just about to ask you about that. So you beat me to the punch. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I tell you what, I really appreciate your time, Jamerica, for explaining your story and what it is that you do with young people in foster care. Thank you so much for taking the avenue that you did in life so that you can have an impact on these young people. I really appreciate it. Having been some time in the system myself, I always appreciate when people are able to turn their experiences around for good and help other young people in the system. You're welcome, Lynn. Thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. I really do. Well, you're very welcome. And for those who have listened to this podcast to the very end, thank you very much. AOI puts out a podcast every two weeks or so. So keep checking our website, agingoutinstitute.org, and look for the podcast link. All of the podcasts are there on that page. Thank you very much. Until next time.